welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey, everybody. Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And today, it's a huge honor for me. We have a very special guest, uh, John McGee. John is a private practice owner, uh, also a husband and father in uh, Florida. He has a fascinating story about um, opening, beginning, uh, graduating from uh, physio school in Ireland, opening a practice immediately out of school, uh, having a good track record of success there and primarily a cash pay, I guess 100% cash pay clinic uh, competing with a, a, essentially a free treatment system. Um, and then coming here uh, to the U.S., John, uh, right now, it looks like they have uh, 10 clinicians. Uh, and the, the most, the thing that I really want to dive into here on this call is uh, your success in rolling out new programs. But welcome to the podcast here, John. Thanks, Chad. Thanks for having me. It's a privilege to be invited on. Um, I'm a frequent listener to the podcast. So thanks a lot for having me. Great. So let's start. Uh, it's 2007. You're uh, back in co college university uh, in Ireland, you graduate, you decided to open up and go into private practice right away. What, did, were you always an entrepreneur? Did you always have that drive? What made you, what, is that a common tract? Uh, what made you do that? Uh, well, it was, it was a bit of, uh, yes, I've always been entrepreneurial minded, but it was also out of necessity because about five years before I went to PT school, um, the British government uh, uh, had a, a shortage of physical therapists, well, physiotherapists. So they let the universities double their intake of students. And effectively what that meant was when we graduated, there was going to be no jobs. So there was like one job was appearing in a hospital and a hundred people would go for the job. And these people were like highly qualified physiotherapists. And it was just really sad to see. So. The physio program in, the, in Ireland is four years. So after about year two, it was evident there was no jobs. So I started spending my student loan money going around getting treatment from private practice physios to see if I could do this and, and get some tips from them. And honestly, after a couple of years of doing that, I was like, you know what? I, I can do this. I, I have the confidence to do this. So I left school 2007 and I opened up and uh, <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> so let, let me back up there a little bit. Uh, you, you said something that definitely uh, caught my ear. You said that while you were in school, you traveled around being treated by other private practice physios. Yep. Yeah, okay. I pretended I had injuries. Like my shoulder hurts, my back hurts, and I was paying them 35 pounds every time and they were doing their assessment and treating me and I was more scoping out what they were doing and could I do this? Because I, I was a little bit older than every one of my class. I had a previous career and I was about to get married and, and buy a house. So I knew I wasn't going to get a job in a hospital and I didn't want one, to be honest. I wanted to do my own practice and my research uh, gave me the confidence to to know I could do it, and I did it, and it turned out great. So were there uh, one or two memorable experiences as you were being treated by other physios as you were going through that really, um, 
that really got your entrepreneurial juices flowing or was there a point where you said, I can do this? Honestly, it was really early on because they were just so busy and the demand for their services was just incredible. And every visit was only 30 minutes long and the waiting rooms were always packed. And if I'm being honest, the experience when I was in with the physio wasn't that good. And I was going to the best. And I was like, okay, this is, this is, this gives me confidence. You know, I'm not, a, I don't have their knowledge. I don't have their experience, but I'll make up for that with my passion and my desire and my need. I need to make this work because I have a, a wife to be, you know? <laughs> That's great. So it uh, sounds like the, that the experience gave you hope. You saw a huge market need there. Um, you then decide to open up. Wh what did that process look like? Um, well, I just looked around for a, a unit and I, I opened up, but very important to my success was during my research being treated with one clinic in particular, they had this like really unique uh, niche they had a back pain machine and no one else in Ireland had this machine. So people were driving to them from all over the UK to see this particular clinic because they had this back pain machine and they were charging double that everybody else was charging. So I was like, hold on a second here. They're charging double and their waiting list is three weeks. Why, why was that? And it was because they had something that other people didn't have. So guess what? I took, I took out a loan for 10,000 pounds and I bought one of those machines. And I started advertising the machine and people came from everywhere, including the US. People used to fly over and stay for a week and get treated once a day for seven days in a row and then fly back to the US. So not that the machine did anything different than what we do with our hands. It's like Maitland PA Mopes. But people just thought we were different and we were special because we had this machine. The perception was, was really strong, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, that, I know you sent a, a few articles over. Um, just to give us an idea in terms of the conversion, I'm, I'm going 1.5 to 1. So 10,000 pounds would be roughly 15,000 US dollars. At that, that time, at that time, it was 20,000 because the, the conversion rate was 1 to 2. Okay. Now it's like thirteen or fourteen thousand dollars. Okay, and the the treatment session at thirty five pounds would be roughly seventy dollars. Yeah, but because we had the machine, we charge more. Okay, are are we allowed to say the name of the machine? Yeah, it's uh, Theraflex. Yeah, Theraflex. There's five in the U.S. I believe. Okay. One of that, that was the bionic hand. That's right. I called it the bionic hand because it sounded better. You know, <laughs> bionic hand fixed my back pain. I mean, journalists, journalists don't want to come to your clinic and hear about how brilliant you are as a physio because everybody tells them that they, they want something different. And it really wasn't difficult to get journalists to do editorials when I was telling them a bionic hand fixed this person's back pain, you know? Yeah. yeah. So uh, you definitely uh, swam up stream pretty quick there with regards to marketing. Um, yeah, I'm looking at two articles. One says Bionican cured my back pain. That was from the uh, Belfast back care, I believe. That's right. And, and uh, the other one is the man with the bionic hand. 
nice picture of you, uh, just like me before the uh, graying beard. Or <laughs> <laughs> the uh, things. <laughs> that's right. In the uh, in, in the Sunday World from uh, 2008. So um, once you had the machine, you start positioning. You, you're growing your practice. What process did you go through to um, grab the attention of journalists? Well, what I did, I reached out to a couple of local sports stars and celebrities. Like one of them was a, a, a presenter on Sky Sports, which is kind of like ESPN. It's a huge company. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically told them, if I didn't fix your back pain, then I would treat you for free. But I want you to do a story if I do fix your back pain. And he said, no problem. Because he had uh, radiculopathy that no one could fix. And he was doing this crazy Sahara Desert Marathon. You, where you run like, is it the Marathon de Sable? Where you run like five marathons in the Sahara Desert like every day. It's something crazy. He's like that. He does all those crazy, all that crazy stuff. Yeah, it looks like 150 miles. Is where <sighs> ran. Yeah. And he did it. And it, that was like four weeks after I treated him and he honest, honestly, he was limping into the clinic. So I treated him with the machine. Yes. But I also did a lot of stuff that I knew would help him. It's from learning from school. So the machine was helping them, but so was the other physio. But at the end of the day, it was all about the machine and people wanted to know about the machine. Yeah. There, there is a phenomenon there that uh, you definitely latched on to early in your career, which is, um, I know anything that we do within our clinic that is slightly different, especially if the person has had physical therapy before, they'll attribute the majority of the success to that one item that is different. That's right. uh, It's like ultrasound, you know, we get people come in and and they insist on having ultrasound and we're like, oh my goodness, like soul, soul destroyer. But I know from experience and so does most of your listeners, if you don't do that ultrasound, the psychological barrier to their recovery is tremendous. So just 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 do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do it for five minutes and then move on to the, the stuff that really helps. Yeah, I, I know that's uh, it's pretty controversial. I'll talk with a usually young therapist that don't have the experience yet and understand the you know if there are any placebo effect or how people can set up that barrier to healing exactly like you're talking about. Um, it, you know, if, when I was 13 years old, if I received ultrasound from our athletic trainer at school and that's what I perceived, you know, cured my knee pain or my shoulder problem. Um, you know, I'm an ultrasound uh, evangelist the rest of my life and that I, I need that, right? And we've all had those people and I just, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'll take the five or eight minutes, whatever it is, and do that even though um, there's not a ton of evidence within the research to, to support that. But the psychological effects are, the barrier is worth removing. Oh yeah. Pretty smart. Uh, Yeah. So, um, you you open your practice in Ireland. Uh, you're, you're growing that, uh, seems like you hit five physios and a massage, uh, massage therapist, I think. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, five or six years later, um, you're now well into your, your marriage and you have one child at the time. Yeah. Two, two. Okay. Two. And then, you make a, a pretty aggressive decision to uh, sell your practice and move to the U.S. What what brought that what brought that about? Uh, well, when we graduated in 2007, my wife's an OT, so we graduated Fourth of July 2007, 
it was the time of the property boom in Ireland. We took out £50,000 in equity in our house, which was $100,000, and we toured the US for nine weeks. I'd never had any intention of moving to the US, and then we spent nine weeks here, and we fell in love with the place. Uh, so that was 2007. We came home, and no matter what we did, the thought of living in the US never left us. So we ignored it and ignored it and ignored it. And I opened the practice, built it up, doing tremendous, making good money. Honestly, at that time, I was pretty much retired. I was 35. Um, I, was, I was training 10 hours a week. I spent the time with the family. And then one day, we were in a snowstorm in Ireland. And my wife said, look, let's just move to Florida. So I sold the practice to my first ever hire, which really made me happy because he he's a tremendous guy. And I know he would take great care of it. And he had all our values and our systems nailed down. And he's doing fantastic. And we sold it. And then we came to Florida and we were trying to find a PT practice to buy. There was only two for sale, one in Tampa and one in Naples. We checked both out and we decided to go with the one in, Ta in Tampa. But to answer your question, it was the weather, the draw of the US and boredom. I just got bored. I was like, I need, I need a new challenge. And boy, did I get one when I moved here. Yeah, I was going to say that. Very good nightmare. Freddy yeah. Krueger met me at the airport. <laughs> yep. So uh, you don't have to go do a deep dive into detail, but you bought a practice here. Um, I, I'll say for you, uh, maybe everything wasn't cracked up to exactly what you believed it was, right? Um, so went through some struggles there um, and then ultimately that got resolved, right? How did you, um, you had to learn very quickly, right? Um, had a little bit of a, bought a bill of goods, I think is the, the you ended up with a bill of goods there. Um, yeah. What what was that like? Because I know there, there was a pretty, so you have this dream, you and your wife are feeding this dream for six years, you make it happen, you move your family to Florida, you kind of hit a point of rock bottom. Um, can you at least maybe on a personal level, without going into the business, uh, share what that was like, and how you ultimately worked your, your way out of that? Well, it was a tremendous, tremendously stressful, because we were three days away from bankruptcy. Um, so we arrived here, successful people, plenty of money in the bank. And we were three days away from bankruptcy. We'd maxed out all our credit cards in, in Ireland and the UK because we couldn't get any credit in the US because we just arrived. The stress was, was incredible, but I learned so much. I just, I'm kind of, my wife calls me a stress junkie. I just, I just, that's kind of where I learned the most when the pressure's on and the pressure was on big time. And despite everything that went on, we still really enjoyed our time in Florida. We loved it. The business was doing terrible. Um, it owed a bunch of money. And we only had one PT and one PTA. Their schedules weren't filled. But the biggest problem, Chad, was I couldn't treat because I had to do like 15 exams before the US would even let me take the MPTE. So that took about a year. And I got, finally got my license. And then that's when everything changed because I had to put up with substandard PT because I couldn't step in. 
and because it was really, really difficult to hire PTs. So I was having to put up with stuff that I never would have put up with in Ireland just to make sure I kept the one PT that we had. But as soon as I got my license, everything changed. It gave me the confidence to step in, let people go that weren't up to the standards. And I just replicated what I did in Ireland. And honestly, it just got better and better and better. Great. Yeah. Go ahead there, I interrupted. Yeah, it just got better week, week upon week. And considering I didn't even know what a copay was or what Medicare was, the year that I had doing all those exams gave me the opportunity to study billing, CPT codes, laws, what you can and can't do. Um, so I, when I stepped in, I was, I was a lot more prepared than I would have been had I have had my license from day one. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, sounds like you made the most of that time. The, is there, uh, for our listeners, is there one big difference that you saw other than the insurance and cash pay models? Um, is there one big difference between physio delivery and, and Ireland and what you experienced here with PT thus far in the US? Because you have a pretty big network of physical therapists right now. Yeah. Well, in, in Ireland, it's complete direct access. So we don't have CPT codes. We don't have stuff like that, but we don't have people interfering with the patient's care. Um, so we can treat the patient how we want, but obviously it's evidence-based. Um, I just found in Ireland, the general public had a lot more respect for physios in that if they hurt their ankle, shoulder, knee, back, they would go straight to a physio. They don't bother going to a doctor. They go to a physio because it's, it's decades and decades it's been ingrained into them. That's who you go and see. When I first got here, I was horrified at how little respect I felt that the physios were getting, the PTs were getting. Everything had to be run through their doctor. The doctor had to sign everything. I couldn't do acupuncture. I, I couldn't do grade fives. Um, I felt like my hands were tied behind my back. And it was like, do they want me to get people better or don't they? You know, we're trying, we're trying to help. Um, but the biggest thing was direct to consumer. It's, that's the way it is in where I'm from. It's, you don't market the doctors, you, you market the people, uh, the, your, your, your community. Whereas here, you, you got to see physicians and yes, direct to consumer happens, but not as much as I would want it to. Mm -hmm. That was the big difference to the kind of the standing, the autonomy. I mean, when I left Europe, we were doing, I know America's got it now, but diagnostic ultrasound, EMG, we started to do injections. We can prescribe anti-inflammatories and painkillers. You just went from like being your own, like PCP, if you like, to all of a sudden, you have to get a script signed every 30 days or whatever it may be. And you're like, oh man, this is, this is hard to grow. This is hard to grow as quickly as I, I did previously. Because I just felt there was a lot more barriers in the way. Yeah, Good insight there. Um, the, yeah. I'll agree with you. I know one of our therapists, uh, Mike Fink, had a career. I think he was 10 years uh, in the Air Force as a PT. They enjoy tremendous uh, responsibility and a more more responsibilities with the license in the military in the U.S. than we definitely have um, in civilian life, I, I think is what it's referred to. And uh, 
Yeah, it's exactly that. And I can re remember uh, some of my most jaded experiences, especially when I worked in a POPs practice where I was seeing somebody, they were, saw them for four days. I'll never forget this. It's a workers' comp case, four days. And this person wanted to get better. They were very motivated to get better. And they were, they had reported 95% improvement, pain-free motion, all this other stuff. They had like a one or two out of 10 pain, a little bit residual and they had uh, trauma, but they were recovering very quickly. And the doctor ended their PT and gave them an injection and a surgical consult. <laughs> and and the, the person was upset with me. And I said, you know, I can't change. It, it, it was absolutely insane the way that our system worked at the time. I hope that is changing. And I hope you've seen some strides uh, over the last eight or nine years yeah. um, as you've grown your practice in Florida. I have. I definitely have. Yeah, that, used to, that happened. Something similar happened to me. I was treating a shoulder patient post-op and she was doing great. She lived right by the practice. And after like four visits, the surgeon pulled her out of my PT clinic and put her in the hospital PT clinic. And his reason was, sorry, I didn't know I was supposed to refer to my PTs. And the patient was driving 12 miles to and from his clinic. And I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, call, yeah. I called him up. He wouldn't take my call. I wanted to speak to him. Why are you taking our patient out of my care? I mean, we're doing great. Did I do something wrong? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I, I did make a call on that one. Uh, the answer I got was there's enough business to go around. I still don't understand how that was uh, related to the context of, of that person, <laughs> but uh, it was very interesting. Um, the, the other thing in, uh, in the write-up that you sent over uh, John, to for prep for this episode and, and the interview is the product is king. So I know you talked about the bionic hands already um, and what you were doing there with the Theraflex machine. And that is a, a, an awesome story. The other one that I know that you and I've talked about uh, quite a few times now is you, you, you have a, I, I would say state-of-the-art neuropathy program, um, yes. probably the most developed in, of any physical therapist that I've ever met or talked with. Um, and there's a, a, a pretty heartfelt, unique motivation behind that a personal story. And I, I was wondering if, uh, if you could share that, how you came to specialize in neuropathy, because I think it's a good one. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I originally specialized in back pain and, and orthopedic injuries. And then my mother got diagnosed with peripheral neuropathy. Um, since that, that time, I had moved to the U.S., and so I wasn't really involved too much in her care. But all she got was drugs, uh, namely gabapentin, um, which was a disaster because one of the side effects is dizziness. And that's what her problem was. Uh, her problem was her balance because she couldn't feel her feet, so she couldn't feel the ground. Um, unfortunately, she fell a couple of times, and two of those times she suffered brain injuries, um, led to strokes. Uh, so after a few months, I was kind of getting upset because I was asking my friends back home that are physios and doctors, hey, what, what, what should I do? Can I get my mom in with you? And they're like, well, we don't really know how to treat it. I mean, medication is what, 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 what they get. So I, I started going, no, that I, I, I got to do something. So I started researching, it took me a couple of years, and then I developed a neuropathy program based on the research that I could find. 
Um, and I wanted to make it the most evidence-based program that I could because that's important to me and it's important to a lot of therapists and so it should be. Um, so I developed a program which is physical therapy, exercises in the clinic using an evidence-based program from a clinical trial that was done in Iran. And they all, the, the other part of the program is a infrared light device called Anodyne that the patient buys from the practice and they use it at home every day for 30 minutes for 12 weeks, which is really, really awesome. And then the third part um, is diet and nutrition and lifestyle coaching, which I'm working with uh, guys that you've hooked me up with um, to develop that side of the thing, that, that side of the program, because PTs aren't experts in nutrition. Well, most of us aren't. So that turned into another great niche and has really helped my practice grow because when I did started this off four years ago, Chad, not a lot of PTs were treating neuropathy, like proper neuropathy, like peripheral neuropathy. Um, so all of a sudden, we started to get a lot of patients on our schedule with neuropathy. And I'm like, okay. And these patients stay longer because they have a chronic debilitating condition. They get more visits. They need more visits. They usually have other problems, knee pain, back pain, because unfortunately, a lot of them are diabetic and they're overweight. So from a business point of view, the lifetime value of the patient was off the charts. So I was like, and a lot of them are Medicare, which is our highest payer. So I was like, this is a win-win. So it went from helping my mom and then it turned into rolling it out of my own practice. And now I have helped over 50 practice owners roll it out in their practice. And the majority of them love it because not only do you get a plan of care, but you also make significant profit on the sale of the anodyne device. And the patient gets better most of the time. Yeah. Um, the, it, it is a win-win. And the, so there's a huge need. It sounds like there's a huge need within the US and I think we have the highest neuropathy rates in the world by far. I think we're double any other country if I. Yeah, 40, that million. Right. 40 million apparently. So huge need, um, more than greater than one in every 10 people. So roughly 12% of our population suffering with neuropathy. Um, there is the cash pay component. The other thing that I love about uh, your story that we've talked about um, offline is that you're delivering the care even though there is a margin and physical therapy for most of us is a very low margin business, even though th there is profit in there so that we can keep our doors open, you're delivering your care for significantly less than many other clinicians are providing the care for. Is that a fair statement? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, the research I done, this market is dominated by chiropractors and good luck, good luck to them. You know, they, they dominate this market and they, they sell their neuropathy programs in cash packages and honest, honestly i mean they range from five thousand to twenty five thousand mm -hmm. and it's just and they, they get it they they get it because they're selling a lot of anodyne units that i know a lot of them personally they're doing very very well so then i thought well how successful would i be if i put the insurance the physical therapy through insurance and charge for the anodyne because you have to charge for the anodyne it's a self-pay machine so if you do that as a PT practice owner, you have just significantly reduced the financial barrier to 
my program is the cheapest around. We put the, the physical therapy through insurance and then they pay for the, the anodyne machine. That's great. And then the, the versatility of the model is great too. For example, Chad, if you don't need new patients, like if I'm helping you and you say, John, I don't need new patients, that's not my problem. I want to have higher um, value per visit, higher dollar per visit. Then you simply create a package, you know, 10 sessions of PT, an anodyne machine, five grand. Mm -hmm. That's it. So yep. it's so versatile. You can use it whatever way you want. Uh, I'm going to help you with some quick math there. Uh, so let's say I was um, in a lower paying area and I was averaging $80 a visit. And the anodyne, if the math, if my math is right, it's roughly um, five to $600. Is that right? Five ninety-five to the practice. Yeah. 600. Um, and the retail is 1295 or $1,200, $1,300. So that's six or $700 for me. Let's, let's say $600 If my average plan of care is 10 visits. And now I'm adding $600 on top of that. That to me is the original 80 plus new uh, yeah. 60. So th that would be $140 per visit. Correct. Right. So most of us that are, you know, very low margins, 10% margins are lower, which uh, many CPAs will refer to as kind of the the death of uh, service-based businesses. Anything under ten percent, you just—it's really hard to keep your doors open, especially with all of the uh, roller coasters that most of us have been on the last couple of years. But um, yeah, if you're looking to mitigate uh, declining reimbursements in any way or anything along those lines, like adding in a cash-based service like this that truly helps the patient and it's backed up by research which I know that Anodyne is just from talking with Craig and uh, yourself as well and other uh, owners that use it. I, I mean, it, it's, it's the way to go. It's the win-win that everybody's looking for. Um, and it, it's legal and ethical and you're helping a lot of people as well. So well done there. Um, what's, I, I, you and I didn't even talk about this, but what's the best way for, if an owner is listening to this and they're thinking about rolling out a neuropathy program, if they're seeing a lot of people, sorry about the background noise, uh, it, if they're seeing a lot of people that could potentially benefit from this, what's the best way for them to learn more about you and your program and what you're doing with Anodyne? Well, I have a website. Um, it's peripheralneuropathyppps.com. So if they log into that, um, they sign up. It's totally free. It's full of resources to help them um, join the practitioner portal, and they'll get a ton of free resources, and I'll help them every step of the way for free, um, roll it out into their practice. Um, and, and honestly, it's a win-win. And even if you're doing a workshop, which I did, I did one last week, it went very, very well. Even when you do your free screen, if it's evident the patient can't afford the anodyne, that's okay, no problem. You can still come for physical therapy. So, you know, it's, you're not really gonna lose out. If they can't afford the anodyne, no problem, but we still have a plan of care. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I know you're helping a lot of people there, John, you, you, you've also inspired me to put out even more uh, free resources because I think it's the right way to go long-term uh, and, and information. So uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, everybody that was uh, peripheralneuropathyppps.com um, that you can go to. I've been in the portal myself. Um, it is fantastic. Tons of 
uh, valuable data in there, and you've gone above and beyond there, John. So thank Thanks, you again man. for doing that. No um, I want to ask you about, uh, I, I know one of the things that you alluded to earlier was uh, direct-to-consumer marketing. Um, and it, at, at least from the model that I see in the, with the practice in Ireland, you did an amazing job of getting some guerrilla marketing in there where journalists were, were free, <laughs> were, were advertising you and your stories. Uh, that, that's excellent. Um, I believe you also had a pretty good background in internal marketing as well, just marketing to your uh, existing patient list that came through. Can you talk about that? Um, maybe a little bit how your um, how you grew in competency with marketing over time from the beginning of your career? Well, in the beginning, I was totally incompetent. Um, I just we just relied on quality of the product that because that's one thing we knew and we were obsessive about having the best PT product we, we could not just delivering evidence-based treatment but the overall service you know the attentiveness the way you interact the, the jokes um just just have, making the patient have a really good time we didn't do any marketing in Ireland at all we had no systems we had no we didn't even have a receptionist um, it was just PTs treating. We would answer phone calls at the end of the day, but we just continually grew and we added a new therapist every nine months because our product was so good. And it really was. I mean, I, I mean, the word of mouth we used to get, the amount of referrals was incredible. But then when I came to the US, based on what I'd seen, I knew it wasn't enough. And honestly, not to blow smoke with, to you, but I went to the killer marketing in Orlando because I, I didn't have a clue. I was in, like a newborn baby and I read your book and that really helped me. I was like, okay, this is a different ball game. You know, there's a lot more competition. Physicians are getting in the way sometimes. Um, I need to be better. I need to have better systems. So I've evolved and grew tremendously in that our internal systems, I think are really, really strong. And uh, we turn as much of our patients into referrals and new patients as possible. And the Green Ink Letter helps tremendously. The My PT stories help tremendously. Or we send those to the doctors. We, we send them to anyone. We send them to everyone that wants them that's involved in the care just to get the word out there. Um, that's really what we, what we do. I've only started recently to do external marketing but it's, it's in its infancy, but I need to do that because we're opening another practice. <laughs> All right, I, I, I didn't know that. When are you doing that? It's opening November 1st. Congrats. So I signed a five-year lease. Um, I'm excited about that. This is, this is a big one for me because it's a brand new practice and I'm going to put into place everything I've learned and with the strong internal, and now I'm adding the external, I think it'll do very well. And if it does well, then it'll be a third practice and then a fourth one and the fifth one and so on. Yep. That, that's the, we're playing the same game right now. Um, yeah. It, the new practice, the de novo, how, how many square feet is that? 3,120. Great. And you have clinicians hired already to go into that space. Yeah. Well, I'm promoting from within. I uh, kind of been training two people the last six months to take over that practice. So Great. that's kind of what I want to do. The clinic number one, 
is 9,000. Um, so this is our main clinic, but it's also like a training academy <laughs> to then branch out and make sure I'm putting the right people in, you know. Um, I wonder where I learned that from. I don't, I don't know, but uh, it's almost yeah, exactly what we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, that, that is the way to go. Um, we have the, we, we call them like the mothership clinics now that are, you know, one's near 400 visits a week. The other one's at 600 visits a week. And um, oh. literally I have two more directors that we're taking through for 2022 now. Um, yeah. Next clinics, but uh, it, it's a smart way to do it. You'll learn a lot through through the process um, and promote it heavily beforehand, so they're they're busy right off right off the bat. Um, there's something else that I kind of picked up on. Uh, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I think it's worthwhile. Uh, earlier, you talked about the increased level of awareness and respect that exists in Ireland that you didn't necessarily find <laughs> um, everywhere in in the U.S. Um, that, and I'm looking at your, at, so Belfast Back Care and, and Physio was your company, correct? Yep, that's right. Yeah. So the, the ads, um, and I just, I really got back into uh, Eugene Schwartz uh, Breakthrough Advertising. Um, literally, it's been out of uh, print for quite a while, but uh, just had a conversation with uh, Brian Kurtz this week, literally this morning, um, who's the publisher. Um, has the publishing rights to this book, and when it's out of when it's out of publish, uh, or when they're not running it, it it goes on Amazon for like eight hundred dollars. Uh, I I have a copy, but the the so many excellent marketers that I know. This is not just in physical therapy or healthcare. This is everywhere. Whether we're talking about software or uh, you know gadgets or widgets, anything like that, they the best business people I know, they go back to this book all the time, and it was written in the 60s. But in the beginning of that book, the big idea, the big takeaway in, in that breakthrough advertising is uh, there's a five, there are five levels of awareness within any audience. And most of it, like you and I as physical therapists, if we're marketing, we're not really thinking about that, right? We're not thinking about the awareness level. You know, We're trying to say, hey, we're great PT, or we have this a piece of equipment or something like that. And we're trying to take the, the easy way uh, in, in terms of the copy. I know I, I'm guilty of that and I think we all are. Um, but, but Eugene Schwartz really breaks this down. And in a market with a very high level of awareness that physio can help, you, you can do exactly what you did, which was a, an offer ad. And the bottom of the ad literally says, a Theraflex session at Belfast uh, back care costs 35 pounds. That's all you need to do, right? <laughs> that would never fly here, right? Um, but the, the sophistication of the market, um, it, it's probably too dense and people don't respect, at least in most areas in the US right now, don't respect enough or utilize enough or they're not aware, they're not solution aware enough that an ad like that could work. Um, yeah. But uh, it, it, it it's fascinating to me, and uh, I think you you also have an, an ad right beside it, just li literally listing what you offered, and uh, you know the address, the phone number, and then it says back hair that works. That's yeah. that's the entire ad. So for your new clinics, uh, I can help you step it up a notch. 
<laughs> but uh, but that's great. So um, you, you're you're up and running now. You're growing a successful practice. You have um, one or two successful niches. Um, can you talk a little bit about what? So you, you you've had an eventful uh, 14 years uh, in your your second career. Can you talk about uh, maybe the trends that you've seen or even better, John, would be where you, th you see the industry going. Um, let's see here. The trends that I, me personally, that I'm seeing is a lot of mergers and acquisitions. Um, I've seen a lot of that where I am, me personally. I've had a lot of people try to buy my clinic or do the partnership or merge together. I mean, like a lot of people, a lot of the big companies are trying to do it. Even as we speak, I got a couple of messages this morning. Um, I'm seeing a lot of that. I really am. Um, lots of clinics are dropping low paying insurances. I'm seeing a lot of that. Um, a lot of them are diversifying, which is great. They're adding back end services, cash pay services, because they know with inflation, and our reimbursement doesn't go up every year. So they're realizing we, we need to start doing other things. We need to start adding stuff on. Um, maybe, who knows, in 20 years, physical therapy could be a loss leader. You know, you get people in because of the therapy and then you sell them a wellness package or laser or dry needling. I'm seeing a lot of that and it's, it's smart. Um, if you do your numbers, you'll see that. Uh, Let's see, lots of clinics are doing direct to consumer marketing. I think the penny is dropping largely. I think you would be the, the biggest pusher of that. You've been going on about it ever since I moved to America in 2014. A lot of people are taking notice. Um, any calls I have or seminars I go to, a lot, that's what a lot of people are saying. They're not doing physician marketing anymore, which I don't think is totally correct. I think you still should but you, you need to focus a lot on direct-to-consumer. Um, another thing that I am aware of, and maybe it's just in my area, but hospitals and physicians, and I've heard this from the horse's mouth, they're focusing a lot, like a lot, a lot, on keeping referrals in-house. And I know a, a surgeon, and he told me they're pushing a lot, like, hey, why is 19% of our patients getting referred outside of our facility? So the money men and women in those institutions are really pushing that, which if, is another reason that make sure you do direct-to-consumer marketing because that is scary. I mean, if only 19% is going outside their hospital, I mean, that's great, but they're still not happy with that. They want it to be less than 19%, which is scary for the rest of us. So you got to stop relying on people and make this happen yourself uh, because that's the way, it, that's what I'm seeing anyway. And the people that I speak to, that's what, that's what they say. Yeah, that, uh, one thing I wanna call out there is uh, that that is very real. That we, we hear that all over the US. I used to feel alone that it was just happening to us here in central Pennsylvania or some other uber competitive markets like uh, Western PA is, is pretty rough as well. But uh, now that, I don't know too many markets that that is not happening where, there, where there's a major healthcare system, a major hospital system that is really just pinning down on the referrals. Uh, fascinating finding. Uh, 
there was that study from 2003 to 2014. It was published uh, April of 2018 in one of the APTA magazines. But 2003 to 2014, 11-year span, uh, there was a 53.6% decrease, decline in physician referrals. I had never gone back and read the original article. I finally went back and did it. Uh, it was one of the benefits of the pandemic as it gave me <laughs> more time to do research. Um, but I went back and there was a, a concomitant or of subsequent increase in referrals to specialists. So mm. less going to PT. And if you think about it, if, if you're working in a, a healthcare system, an enclosed healthcare system, because my guess is, John, they don't want it at 19%, they want it at zero, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the goal. So who are you going to send to? You're going to send to the specialist within the same system. And the numbers show that if you go back and uh, read that, it was also published in the Journal of uh, General Internal Medicine. We have shared that just about everywhere we can uh, within Breakthrough, but that is a, that is a uh, acute awareness for you to pick up on yeah. that trend. The other thing that I want to say, uh, call out, is um, you do something very unique with change management. And even if it, there's an owner on here who is not interested in neuropathy uh, for whatever reason, studying what you have done and how you have built um, a, a very specific product and niche, niche program is worthwhile because you have clinician training, you have um, everything in from not only the marketing, but also how to talk with people, uh, potential patients. And I don't think we have near enough of that in PT. So if somebody's you know looking to roll out uh, some sort of sports performance program or something for CrossFitters or any sort of treatment around any piece of equipment at all from aquatic therapy to laser um, to orthotic program, whatever it may be, just studying the the structure of how you've laid everything out in your training, I think is worthwhile. And we need more of it across the board because I see so many things that are rolled out and not thought through, and then they kind of fall flat. And then the owner says, well, you know, this doesn't work for me rather yeah. than, rather than saying, Hey, can I really look? And you have all that in that, in one space. Um, so before we sign off, I want you to um, give that URL again for everybody, the peripheral neuropathy one. Yeah, it's peripheral neuropathy pps.com and the pps stands for private practice system so it's a plug and play system for a pt practice owner great um the other than the practice in november uh anything else new that you're working on here the rest of the well i just expanded my clinic to nine thousand square feet so we've hired quite a few people um, we've implemented several new systems. I'm a big one for cutting people in on profits of the business. I know a lot of people don't like that, but I've had a lot of success with it. It makes my life easier. Even with the neuropathy program, when I rolled that out, I was the only one that was really selling neuropathy packages. But guess what? As soon as I started to give the PTs a cut of everything they sold, that all started to change. Um, so I'm a big believer in that. So we're rolling out incentive programs right across everything we sell from a TheraBand to a BioFreeze. And we're just, we're working on that at the moment. Um, I just want the business to just run itself and 
let me go play golf. <laughs> back, back, back in Ireland? Yeah, or, uh, I, can't, I can't get back. I mean, well, it's just this bloody COVID. I can't get there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Um, so that's great. Yeah, I, I would actually love to do a call with you in the future to, because that is a very hot topic, the incentivization programs. Um, it, I've, always sounds- done that. I've always done that, Chad, even from I opened up in 2007. In America, all my clinic directors get a cut of profit and it has made my life so much easier. Yes. Like I, I, am, I am actually a CEO. I don't deal with all the day-to-day stuff because they do and they make sure they do because they're cut in on the, the profits. And it also helps retain them as well. You know, you don't want them to leave. You don't want your A players leaving. I always say to my wife, she's our CFO, we need to create a job that someone is petrified to lose. So they look elsewhere and go, have I left this company or I got fired? I'm taking a step down. So I don't care if I pay them more because I actually do. I don't care about that. As long as I'm happy with what I'm making, I have a good life. I can spend time with my kids um, and still achieve what I want to in business. I'm happy. I'm not going to nickel and dime them. I want them to stay with me for as long as possible. And if I got to pay them 40 grand more than the clinic down the street, then that's what I'll do as long as I'm making out okay as well. Yeah, that's great. Great advice, John. Yeah, we'd love to talk with you uh, more about that if you're willing to do so. The most common thing that I hear from owners is uh, I want my team to have more of an ownership mentality. We'll we'll go, do you do profit sharing? Do you do incentivization program? Nope. Well, then that's a, that's a problem. So uh, yeah, big fan of that big supporter of everything you're doing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast here, John. This was great. No problem, Chad. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for everything that you do. You certainly helped me when I came to this country and you've helped thousands of others. So thanks a lot. Breakthrough. Great. Uh, Other than the, the, URL, your website, is there any other way that uh, best place for owners to reach out to you if they have any questions? Is there an email or LinkedIn or anything? Like yeah, they can email my uh, uh, john at westchasetherapy.com. So it's J-O-H-N yep. at westchase, W-E-S-T-C-H-A-S-E. Yep, therapy.com. Great. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.